Welcome to Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. I'm your host, Dawn Berendt, the Infusion Nurse Educator for the INS. My guests today are Stephen Rowley and Simon Clare. Stephen Rowley is the Clinical Director for the Association for Safe Aseptic Practice and the originator of ANTT, Clinical Practice Framework. The Association for Safe Aseptic Practice is a nonprofit, non-governmental organization with a global purview. Working closely with organizations and governments around the world, Stephen has helped realize improvements in aseptic practice and healthcare-associated infections. His peer-reviewed publications are widely cited, and as a leading opinion leader and expert on aseptic technique, he lectures internationally. Simon Clare is the Research and Practice Development Director at the Association for Safe Aseptic Practice. He has been a registered nurse for 29 years and a clinical nurse specialist for 16 years. His background is in hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. And he has worked at the Myeloma Institute at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock, Arkansas, and at the University College London Hospitals. Simon is former visiting lecturer at City University of London and a member of the European Society for Blood and Marrow Transplantation Research Group. Simon was a joint winner of the 2008 Nursing Times Award for Infection Control Nursing. Before we start the podcast today with our guest, I want to share an acronym with you, and that is ANTT, which stands for Antiseptic No-Touch Technique. The acronym ANTT will be used throughout this podcast as Stephen and Simon tell us about their work. Stephen and Simon, thank you so much for being my guest here again today for our third session in our three-part series. Um, let's refresh our audience. Let's pretend that no one has been listening so far to the first two regarding ANTT and the Association for Safe Aseptic Practice. Give us a brief recap about this organization and your work. No problem. This is like being at home because no one listens to me there until the third time <laughs> I say something. So here we go. No, um, the association, the uh, Association for Safe Aseptic Practice, is a non-profit um, that oversees and disseminates the development of ANTT uh, aseptic non-touch technique. ANTT, as we've been discussing, is an international standard for the critical competency of aseptic technique, and it's importantly, uh, therefore, all invasive procedures and any maintenance of any invasive device, whether that's major surgery, right through to first aid at home, and obviously everything in the middle, too. Okay. okay. So I want to jump in and begin talking about the principles of standardization and ask why is standardization so important? Um the easy answer to that, Dawn, is where you have variability in practice, you invariably will have variability in standards and effectiveness of practice in any given population. Uh, that's not just a phenomena in infection prevention and aseptic technique. That's a phenomena with, with humans and certainly humans uh, working in healthcare in, in all sorts of specialties. So generally, people accept that where safety is important, standardization is a prerequisite to ensuring safety. I think the, a, a very common analogy uh, used in infection prevention is 
often made with the airline industry. This is a an industry that deals with hundreds, if not millions, of clients every day, doing actually what is quite a high-risk venture in an incredibly controlled and incredibly standardized fashion. And pretty much our experience of going through an airport, security, getting onto a plane, how we behave in a plane, how the plane is serviced and looked after, uh, is standardized in that industry. And it's no surprise that the airline industry has an incredible safety record, given uh, what it's doing day in, day out. So, in a nutshell, standardization reduces practice variability, and when you reduce variability, you improve safety. Okay. So why is standardization in clinical practice so challenging to achieve? Wow, that's a that's a good and big question. Um, I think the challenges of getting healthcare professionals to do what they've been trained to do, do what they often believe in, uh, has been a challenge that isn't peculiar to the field of aseptic technique. There's, there's many dynamics to that challenge. Um, some organizational, have staff got the right equipment? Are they working in the right setting? Are there enough staff in a, in a, in a set team to deliver the standards that you want? You know, we, it's, a, it's a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in this particular field, our experience, having done this for about 15 years now, is that challenges come, uh, the challenges are rooted in the ambiguity in yeah. the literature, uh, which has resulted in a, a wide and varied and often confused practice language and as, as one problem. There is a, a lot of human factors involved in this area uh, which probably haven't really been fully understood yet. Uh, we see so many healthcare pra- practitioners practice in a way that we know they wouldn't practice on their own family. Mm. And that's not to paint that's not to paint healthcare professionals as, as people going to work to do harm, because of course that's not why they go to work. But it is a phenomenon, and uh, we need to understand what motivates people to do the right thing and what inhibits people to do the right thing. It is very, very complex. I agree with you that having simple language, the same language, and the same predictable patterns of behavior um, for ANTT is is so important. And wherever we can apply that, um, we're going to see adherence and we're going to see better outcomes. So at the end of our last session, we indicated that today we're going to talk about patient involvement. Um, What we find right now is that patients are more informed. I'm not sure how that's coming about, if it's um, the aging of our society, our younger people are getting a little bit older, um, whether it's the available information on the Internet. But but we find that patients um, have an increased health literacy, and that they're able to advocate more on their own behalf. However, there are sectors, there are there are groups of uh, patients who uh, do not 
take those steps at all. So what do you see? Have you noticed an increase in health literacy at the community level? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I think we've seen a lot more health literacy in the patient population in the last five years than we did in the preceding five years before that. Um, we've been trying to build on some of the lessons we've seen learned um, regards patient involvement related to hand hygiene. So I think it's pretty safe to say, I'll speak to the UK, in the UK about 10 years ago, there was a very little understanding of patients about the importance of hand hygiene. All the kind of focus was around training and educating healthcare professionals. When people realized there was a lot of scope and advantage to be had in educating patients, uh, there were a lot of initiatives here in doing that in terms of poster campaigns, video resources, and, and so on. Um, and it's now absolutely a common event for patients, not all patients, but many patients, uh, to feel confident enough to challenge healthcare professionals if they don't see hand hygiene. Uh, at times, they expect it. Um, so... We, we looked at that with interest, and a few years ago now, we, we started to develop some campaigns of our own around that. One of the campaigns that we formulated was trying to synthesize the ANT practice framework into a, a much more simple, patient-friendly concept of which we could build on that education that had been given to patients regards hand hygiene. And what we did was we, we boiled down, if you like, the framework to six components. And we, we devised a set of uh, posters that essentially articulated ANTT in its simplest expression at that, by, by that point into six steps. And we created a two-sided poster. So the first side of the poster was intended for healthcare professionals with the same message that aseptic technique can be brought down to six important steps, do these all the time, and patients benefit. And then on the flip side of that poster, we reduced the steps down to four, because two of them we didn't feel patients really needed to be involved with. That was to do with risk assessment and something else that escapes me at the moment. Um, so this patient's poster only had four steps, and it basically said to patients in, in, in patient speak, this is what safe aseptic technique looks like. If you don't see these four actions when you're having a aseptic procedure, feel comfortable to raise a question with either that practitioner or maybe the ward manager or, or your uh, clinician, whoever you feel comfortable with. But, but building on that concept that patients aren't stupid by any means and uh, can definitely, a lot of patients have uh, a thirst for this kind of knowledge uh, and are very grateful for it when they get it. Okay, so you've just we given also, a... Uh, Go ahead, I'm sorry, Stephen. That's what I was just going to say. We uh, we also work with a number of patient organizations uh, uh, internationally. You know, they're, they're, they're growing in number. We've worked with uh, organizations, uh, patient organizations, to do with uh, MRSA and clostridium difficile and 
and general patient organisations and so on. So we channel quite a lot of effort uh, to work in partnership with um, organisations like that. Okay. okay. So I'm interested in thinking, exploring together, how can we encourage public involvement and engaging patients to participate in uh, healthcare safety as well? Uh, I think it's uh, relatively straightforward uh, in terms of the first step. The first step is that we need to agree as healthcare professionals what is the most uh, important messages um, that we can get out to the, the patients would benefit from, how we can communicate those messages in simple, understandable terms that will resonate with patients and their families. Um, and then when we've decided that, create the vehicle to do that. I think the vehicle would obviously involve poster campaigns. That's a relatively easy thing to do. Social media campaigns uh, is obviously an enormous uh, growing art and uh, has certainly not seen its potential fulfilled yet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think identifying what patients would most benefit from, (coughs) agreeing how we articulate that, and then finding the right vehicles to deliver it. I, I also think that some of the resources that we have ourselves lend themselves to, to greater patient involvement. One of the things that stick out, sticks out to me is the clinical practice guidelines. They're very simple risk-assessed sequence picture-based guidelines that take a step-by-step approach to a procedure. Um, and they support the, the ANTC clinical practice framework um, by providing a really good education tool to show people how to practically practice. Um, but because they're relatively simple and they are very visual, they are also uh, great to share with patients, to show them uh, exactly what to expect and what they should see when the nurse or when the doctor is performing aseptic practice. They're also very effective tools for teaching um, things like line maintenance and care when they go home. Um, we believe they should use the same resources that um, that we use in the clinical setting. Um, and so that level of standardization really reassures patients. They're getting uh, the same knowledge, but disseminated in a way that's easy for them to understand. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, Stephen, I wanted to ask you, um, I'm talking to you today, um, uh, all the way you're in the UK, I'm you know, here in the United States, and um, it's apparent sometimes as we talk we're um, interrupting each other because of the lapse perhaps in in our uh, phone communication, and we've done such a good job um, meeting ends in this communication. But what I really want to ask you about is um, do you have work here in the United States? You mentioned in one of our earlier podcasts that you had kind of been slow about uh, bringing the work over here, although you've been involved in 25 other countries across the globe. Uh, tell us about your interest in implementing projects here in the United States. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, we've, we've kind of uh, been um, reaching out to the States for some years now, and um, the project has been a slow burner um, in the States compared to some other countries. I think there are various reasons for that. I think your healthcare system is is very different to a number of the countries that we're used to working in. 
uh, it's obviously a very big place. So it's easy to say America is one country, but, you know, a lot of your states are bigger than a lot of the countries that mm-hmm. we work in uh, on their own. Um, so the time is now. Uh, we have a strategy to target the states, and we've been doing that for the last couple of years, and that's been going really well, and we're seeing fantastic momentum now. Where, we, For example, we've really been um, encouraged and excited by our uh, collaboration with INS. Um, we're delighted to be on the INS standards for 2021 and on the editorial board for that, and we have plans for ANTT there, which is, which is great. We're working with other specialties across the state, uh, we have a, a big project uh, formulating in anesthesiology with uh, an anesthetic ANDT lead there we have called Anthony Colioso, who's doing some sterling work there trying to improve standards of aseptic technique in the OR and anesthetic uh, space. Uh, so we're certainly supporting that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'd really like to do in this podcast is reach out to anyone listening. Hopefully there is someone listening. Um, <laughs> but reach out to people listening. Reach out to people interested in ANTT and say that we'd love to work with you and this is what we do. And we can very happily support ANTT implementation at lots of different levels. We can... We can uh, sure, we can work with government level and we can work with whole organisations and whole hospitals and implement ANTT on a grand scale uh, with you. But equally, we can work with small teams and individuals who are, who are keen to uh, make small improvement, uh, practice improvements in their area. So I only encourage uh, listeners to get in touch uh, and uh, let's create a, a dialogue and see what we can do. One of the things that we're very keen to do is to work with um, individuals or small teams on specific questions about practice. What, one thing we found over the last few years is that people are anxious to improve practice, and there's a real lack of research in really practical areas um, mm-hmm. about you know, for instance, what, what is the correct sequence for blood culture collection? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do we... Um, do good non-touch techniques like you know urinary catheter insertion, um, even simple things. How to open up a, an aseptic field without contaminating it. Um, there are lots of questions that we we like to get involved in and, and like to um, move people towards doing some research in this area because um, we really really want to move practice forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am certain, especially upon hearing this, that that others will reach out to you. There are many clinicians across the United States who would be interested uh, to have these these exact discussions with you. So you mentioned in one of our earlier podcasts, and I want to give you the opportunity again to tell about some of your um, work internationally, some of the engagements and collaborations that you're either a part of now or you plan in the future. Um. We had a, a, a few years ago. We um, someone from our team went out to Nepal um, to implement uh, ANTT clinical guidelines in a, in a number of hospitals, uh, and they've been, you know, sort of producing data over 
over a number of years now. So that that's kind of an interesting project. And I think that was our first real exotic area. Um, we, we've since gone to lots of other exotic areas, both in Africa and the Middle East and, and places like that. But I think Nepal was our first uh, taste that this project had really gone um, very international. Mm-hmm. Uh, other projects done include um, um, work with the emergency services, is something uh, we're really involved with at the moment. We we recognise some of the special um, and u- unique challenges uh, for the health, uh, sorry, the emergency services, whether they be paramedics, ambulance drivers, and, and so on. And uh, we developed a concept called Emergency AATT um, last year, and this is proving mm. very popular with uh, this field of professionals. And it's basically a way of teaching AATT. In, a, in its most pragmatic, the pragmatic sense. Uh, so, for example, if you're sitting upside down in a car with a patient who's, who is upside down in the car, which is overturned and um, in it, and the patient's in a bad way, then practice is different to when you're in a controlled environment in a hospital. It sometimes has to be. And it's about trying to recognize that and support those practitioners to be able to focus on the the quickest and easiest ways of achieving asepsis in any given moment uh, relative to the, the risks the patient faces at that point in time. So that's something we're very uh, excited about. Um, I could go on with it's a long list. We're really excited about a book we helped Nancy Murrow with, uh, who's very well known, as you will know, in the States uh, on vessel health and mm-hmm. IV practice. Uh, we wrote a, a chapter on ANTT and that, and... Um, I think Nancy needs to be applauded for um, engagement with ADT and realising that the varied practice language uh, was a was a problem and going to be a problem for her writing a book where she wanted to reach out internationally. So right at the beginning of the book, she explains this variation and says, this book, whenever it's talking about aseptic technique, is going to talk in the ADT practice language. So that was a, a really nice project. Mm-hmm. Um, Gosh, we're working with humanitarian groups um, uh, in various places, exotic places, as Simon says at the moment, which is taking uh, a lot of our interests. Um, we're off to Russia. I think I might have mentioned that on a previous podcast. We're hoping to build on some entity uh, standardization that we've seen develop in the last couple of years out there. We're working with a big neonatal organization to standardize practice across near Naples care in Russia, and we're trying to, on this trip, um, extend that to all uh, Russian healthcare, but that's obviously uh, in uh, evolution, uh, but growing nicely. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're really busy uh, and uh, very energized by people's enthusiasm for ANTT. I certainly really appreciate the fact that you've been able to set aside this time to uh, record these podcasts uh, for the INS and for our guests who listen. And we are nearing the end of our third podcast here together, uh, the last of this series. So there are times where I like to ask my guests if there is one thing that you would like to have people remember. uh, Tell me what it is. And Simon, we're going to start with you. 
one thing, gosh, um, I would say that the standardization is the key, and I think you talked about this earlier, is that um, being able to standardize aseptic techniques with a common practice language um, go, will go an awful long way to improving patient safety. Um, so for me, it's about standardization. It's about having uh, a standard way of talking about something, giving people the tools to do the same thing in the same way with the same equipment and everybody know uh, almost instinctively what's happening anywhere in the world. That's, that's a very powerful thing. Very good. Stephen, how would you answer the same question? Yeah, I think... Um, because Simon stole what I was going to say, uh, I'll, I'll, I, I would say um, that I think it was um, Einstein said that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome was the um, definition of madness. And I think in that light, we've been doing the same thing in aseptic technique for about 100 years. Uh, and to keep doing the same thing um, would be madness. ANGT has, for lots of luck, found itself creating a, a niche where people can do something different in aseptic technique and get a different outcome, and that's improving practice by reducing variability. So uh, let's be less mad and uh, get this job done. Thank you so much. So this concludes this session of Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. I want to thank Stephen Rowley and Simon Clare from the UK for being my guests today, and thank you for listening.